Welcome to Learning English, a daily 30-minute program from the Voice of America. I'm Jonathan Evans. And I'm Ashley Thompson. This program is aimed at English learners, so we speak a little slower and we use words and phrases especially written for people learning English. Today on the program, you will hear from Alice Bryant and Anna Mateo. Later, Steve Ember will present our American history series, The Making of a Nation. But first, here is Alice Bryant. Americans are using humor to calm their nerves during the coronavirus crisis. Some have shared memes about not wearing day clothes anymore and gaining weight as they spend so much time at home. And late-night television shows are helping to cheer up Americans at a time of concerns over COVID-19, the disease caused by the crisis. Medical experts say humor is central to surviving the health crisis. Jonathan Jaffe operates a humorous online newsletter in the state of New Jersey. He calls it the Jaffe Briefing. We're just trying to find the lighter side of the crisis with articles that tell readers that this is temporary. Let's just get through it together, he said. Jaffe has seen a 40% jump in the number of readers since the first coronavirus patient in the United States died on February 28th. The newsletter jokes about such news as efforts of the American company Anheuser-Busch to make antibacterial products instead of its usual beer. Mental health experts say humor is great for calming nerves, not just by making people laugh, but also by lowering the body's stress hormones. Scientific evidence shows high levels of stress can weaken the body's ability to fight disease. At a press conference on COVID-19, death and infection numbers, officials in Kentucky released pictures with light-hearted sayings written on them. And Kentucky's public health commissioner, Dr. Stephen Stack, told reporters, humor is healing. Comedy can serve as a kind of protection for the mind to ensure safe passage through tragic times, noted psychologist Sean Truman of St. Paul, Minnesota. It's a really powerful way to manage the unmanageable. Just to make fun of it and to gain control of it by laughing at it. That's a really powerful psychological move we can make, Truman said. 
With New York at the center of the crisis, Governor Andrew Cuomo asked actor Danny DeVito to speak about the importance of self-quarantining. Stay home, DeVito, who is 75, said in a public service announcement played on many TV stations. We got this virus, this pandemic, and, you know, young people can get it, and they can transmit it to old people, and the next thing you know, I'm out of there. When DeVito said out of there, he means dead. After production of their late-night TV talk shows was stopped, many of the show stars began recording themselves from home for social media. They have been joking about their favorite subjects, such as politics, but adding new material, too. For example, millions watched as talk show host Jimmy Fallon sat just outside his home with his laptop computer. Each time he told a joke, he would create the sound of people laughing and cheering by pressing a button on the machine. Because of the virus, show host Stephen Colbert has changed the name of his opening segment. Colbert now calls it The Light Show with Stephen Kolb Air. We're all in this together. One of his recent programs had a make-believe horse race. Each horse represented his thoughts and emotions, some hopeful and others less so. Each horse was given a humorous name, such as does this cough mean anything? And Trevor Noah has been doing video calls with reporters from his funny late-night news show. On a recent call from his home, he and reporter Ronnie Chang talked about Chang being stuck in Australia. Noah told Chang he felt sorry for him because he is stuck in a hotel, away from everyone back home. But then Chang joked, I love social distancing. I love this stuff. I get to watch TV all day, eat whatever I want, wake up whenever I want. I don't even have to wear pants. It's the best. I'm Alice Bryant. Learning English, this is the Health and Lifestyle Report. Much is unknown about the disease COVID-19. But health experts say they do know this. 
age makes a big difference as to whether a person infected with the new coronavirus lives or dies. The reason is something called reserve capacity. The Associated Press spoke with several doctors about the subject. One of them is Richard Barron, an expert in healthcare for older adults. He heads the American Board of Internal Medicine, a nonprofit group. Barron notes that at age 18, you have a lot of extra lung capacity you don't use unless you're running a long race. He said that the ability of our lungs to process the air we breathe decreases with age, even in healthy people. So the lungs of older men and women do not have this extra capacity. If you're an old person, said Barron, even a mild form can overwhelm your lungs if you don't have enough reserve. The new coronavirus is like most respiratory viruses. It affects the movement of air into and out of the lungs. The virus is spread by droplets from an infected person's mouth when they cough. Or the droplets can come from their nose when they sneeze. Most people who get COVID-19 experience mild to moderate symptoms, like coughing and high body temperature or fever. These people generally recover. With other people, the virus gets deep into the lungs and causes a severe infection, pneumonia. Recently, American doctors studied 121 chest scans of COVID-19 patients. These images were provided by doctors in China. The American doctors work for New York's Mount Sinai Health System. The doctors saw something unusual in the images. Healthy lungs look mostly black on medical scans. This is because they are full of air. An early infection with bacterial pneumonia shows up on chest CT scans as cloudy in part of a lung. Adam Bernheim works as a radiologist at Mount Sinai. He notes that in people who get COVID-19 pneumonia, these cloudy areas seem to form on the outside edge of both lungs by the rib bones. As the infection worsens, the clouds form rounded clusters and slowly turn white. For the patient, breathing becomes difficult. Amy Molan works as an emergency care specialist at the University of California Davis Medical Center. She told the AP that when a patient reaches this point, the best treatment we have is supportive care. By that, she means helping a person to breathe when the oxygen levels in the patient's blood starts to drop. For some people, it is enough to have oxygen sent through a face mask or tubes in the nose. However, the very sick will need a breathing machine, also called a ventilator. 
The goal is to keep the person alive until the disease takes its course and the lungs begin to heal, explained Neil Schachter, another doctor at Mount Sinai. Doctors say that the very worst cases develop a condition called ARDS, or ARDS. This is short for Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome. At this point, the lungs fill with fluid. Dr. Barron says that this is the body's natural defense system trying its best to fight the infection by attacking the lung. Severe pneumonia can lead to organ damage. Last week, Chinese doctors told members of the American College of Cardiology to watch for additional problems in severe COVID-19 cases. The Chinese doctors warned to be especially watchful with people who have heart disease. The worst off may need blood-thinning drugs as their blood starts to harden, blocking passages. Also, the heart may suffer damage from the lack of oxygen and from inflammation in the body. The Chinese doctors gave other warnings. They noted that age is not the only risk factor. Medical records from China show that 40% of people who required critical care had other health problems, such as heart disease and diabetes. Doctors say it is too soon to know about any lasting trouble for patients who recover from COVID-19. The World Health Organization has said that it can take three to six weeks to recover from a severe case of the disease. But it could take months to get back to normal activity after any form of severe pneumonia. This is especially true if the person also had earlier health problems. Doctors say that recovery depends, in part, on how long someone was on a breathing machine. For people who had to stay on such a machine for four weeks, experts say it can take six months to a year to completely heal. And that's the Health and Lifestyle Report. I'm Ana Mateo. Welcome to the Making of a Nation, American History in VOA Special English. I'm Steve Ember. Imagine a time machine. You've just climbed into it for the purpose of visiting the United States in the 1950s. What would you expect to find?
In the 1950s, America was a nation whose population was growing as never before. It was a nation where the popular culture of television was both reflecting and influencing its lifestyle. But it was also a nation that believed it was on the edge of nuclear war. Americans were happy to put World War II behind them. The war ended in 1945. People were hopeful. They thought the world would be peaceful for a while. By 1950, however, political tensions were high again. The United States and the Soviet Union were allies in World War II. But after the war, they became enemies in what came to be known as the Cold War. Communists took control of one Eastern European nation after another. The Soviet Union, led by Joseph Stalin, strengthened its armed forces. However, the United States thought America alone possessed the most powerful weapon of all, the atomic bomb. But in 1949, a United States Air Force plane discovered strange conditions in the atmosphere. What was causing them? The answer came quickly. The Soviet Union had tested its own atomic bomb. The nuclear race was on. The two nations competed to build weapons of mass destruction. A doomsday clock on the cover of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists warned of a growing danger of nuclear destruction. Members of that group were afraid of what science had produced and even more afraid of what it could produce. By 1949, the time on the doomsday clock was three minutes to midnight. In 1950, North Korea invaded South Korea. The Korean War increased efforts in the United States to develop a weapon even more deadly than the atomic bomb. That weapon was the hydrogen bomb. The Soviets were also working to develop their own hydrogen bomb. Some Americans built bomb shelters in their backyards, hoping to have a safe place for their families in case of a nuclear attack. Other Americans, however, were tired of being afraid. After years of sacrifice, they wanted to enjoy the good life in a growing economy. 1952 was a presidential election year. Americans elected Dwight Eisenhower, a military hero of World War II. The years after the war produced the baby boom generation. In 1950, there were 24 million young children in America. By 1960, that number was 35 million. More families meant the need for more houses. And bigger families needed bigger houses. In 1950 alone, almost one and a half million new homes were built in America. 
Most of these new houses were located in suburbs, the areas outside cities. People moved to the suburbs because they thought the schools there were better than city schools. They also liked having more space for their children to play in. More space meant children had room to lay out electric train sets. In a lot of American homes, playing with electric trains was an activity that brought the whole family together. Television ads for Lionel trains even featured baseball great Joe DiMaggio. Lionel trains proudly present the Joe DiMaggio Show. Starring the Yankee Clipper, Joe DiMaggio himself. The late 1950s brought the Barbie doll and a big circular tube of colorful plastic called the hula hoop. People had to learn to move their hips in a circular motion, like a hula dancer in Hawaii, to spin it around their body. Hula hoops became hugely popular in America. Also popular was the poodle cut, not for dogs, but for women who wanted to look stylish. They fixed their hair into lots of small curls, like the hair on a poodle. Actress Mary Martin had made the poodle cut famous in the musical South Pacific. That play opened on Broadway in New York in 1949 and ran into the early 1950s. A kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. In Hollywood, one of the biggest movie stars of the 1950s was Marilyn Monroe. She starred in films like Gentlemen Prefer Blondes in 1953. Her platinum blonde hairstyle also became popular among American women. I woke up this morning, you know, and the sun was shining, and it was nice, and all that type of stuff. And the first thing, I saw you. Another famous actor was James Dean, best known for the 1955 movie Rebel Without a Cause. That same year, he died in a car accident at the age of 24. In literature, there were writers and poets who came to be known as the Beat Generation. These included Jack Kerouac, Gregory Corso, and Allen Ginsberg. To them, much of life in 1950s America was empty and meaningless. The painter Jackson Pollock represented a spirit of rebellion in art. Pollock would drop paint onto a canvas. What did his works mean? People had to decide for themselves. In music, the rebel was Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll. You know I can be found Sitting home all alone If you can't come around At least please telephone Don't be cruel To who heart is true Elvis was a 21-year-old truck driver when he sang on television for the first time. Some parents and religious leaders thought he was a bad influence. 
They thought the way he moved his body to the music was too suggestive. But young people screamed for more. They listened to Elvis's music on records, on the radio, and on the television program American Bandstand. American Bandstand became the most popular dance party in America. Every week, young people danced to the latest songs in front of the TV cameras. But it wasn't all rock and roll. Heavenly shades of night are falling. It's twilight time. Out of the mist, your voice is calling. It's twilight time. Whether on bandstand-type television programs or at local record hops or at home, young Americans and their parents dance cheek-to-cheek to romantic ballads as well. Television in the 1950s included dramas acted live every week. And there were quiz shows and game shows and comedy programs. If Elvis was the king of rock and roll, Lucille Ball was the queen of comedy. During the 1950s, millions of Americans watched I Love Lucy. Lucille Ball starred with her husband, Desi Arnaz. They played Lucy and Ricky Ricardo. Ricky is a Cuban band leader in New York. Lucy is a housewife who wishes she could be famous like her husband. Uh, What do I have to do? You're going to get me back on the television show. How? I don't know how. But if you don't... All right. I will. I will, Ricky. I'll get you back on the show. Don't even think of what you'll do if I don't. Lucille Ball and I Love Lucy were both big influences on generations of entertainers and TV comedy producers. Variety shows offered a mix of entertainment. Americans watched shows hosted by comics like Milton Berle, Jackie Gleason, and Sid Caesar. Ed Sullivan was not a comedian, but for years his show brought new acts into American homes every Sunday night. Television shows were all in black and white, but one night in 1953... Americans got their own time machine glimpse into the future of TV. It happened with an announcement during Sid Caesar's Your Show of Shows. This is Richard Harkness in Washington. This week will long be remembered in the annals of television. For on Thursday, December 17th, the Federal Communications Commission approved compatible color television. That meant that owners of TV sets could still watch programs broadcast in color in black and white instead of having to buy a new set. Color TV's popularity grew quickly and the prices of color TVs came down, meaning more color TVs in American homes and more and more programs produced in color. The following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. During the 1950s, most of the people who appeared on television were white. If black actors appeared, they were usually in jobs working for white people. But in real life, a civil rights movement was beginning to gather strength. 
legal battles were fought to end racial separation, especially in public schools. In 1954, the United States Supreme Court made a historic ruling. The case was known as Brown v. Board of Education. The court ruled that the requirement in some states for racially separate schools was unconstitutional. The court rejected the idea that schools for black students could be separate but equal to those attended by white students. By the 1960s, the civil rights movement would shake American society. Dwight Eisenhower was president for most of the 1950s. He faced the problems of communism, nuclear threats, and racial tensions. Ike had a calm way of speaking to the public. Many Americans saw him as a fatherly president. They thought that even in a dark and dangerous world, everything would be all right. Were they correct? We'll try to answer that in future programs. And that's our program for today. Listen again tomorrow to learn English through stories from around the world. I'm Jonathan Evans. And I'm Ashley Thompson. 